Welcome, guys. It's good to see you. Uh, so, so real quick, let's okay. Let's talk about what we're doing here. Does that seem appropriate? So, like, apparently, this is the thing that Kaya does. Where once a year they come down here. Well, in fact, in the past it was every every other year. There for a season, right? The idea was to come back every other year and uh, and get away for just a weekend, just a short weekend to reset our focus. And it's such an appropriate time. You guys have just started the uh, the school year, right? And um, a lot of you have 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 maybe gotten to a place uh, where you know in the summer things were awesome and the fellowship was great and, and were sharpened, and now there's a chance that, that things have clouded. Uh, your mind and things have distracted you and so this seems like an appropriate time to reset our focus uh, particularly with mission focus in mind and all these other things on the horizon but uh, you know last year was my first year in Kaya and this was this event was the first thing that I did with you guys and some of you remember that but then like as I look out across like there's a lot of you who weren't here for that <laughs> and and that's a testament of what God's doing but but so let's talk real quick, what, what is uh, the fall retreat? The fall retreat is a time, probably more so than any other event that we have all year, that is, that is intended to reset our vision or cast a vision so that we're focused on the things that Kaya is really going to be about. The College and Young Adult Ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, what is it that we're doing? What is our purpose? What is, what is it that God has called us to do? And... Uh, I'm really, like, guys, to be honest with you, my heart was knit with you guys last year in this moment. Like, when I was here and preaching, for me, it was just like, it was a whole, it was a brand new ball game, but like, I felt so apart. And the thing that I'm praying for you guys, that this, if this is your first year, is I'm praying that you would recognize that you're a part of this. And we're going to be talking about vision, and we're going to be talking about things that, that might sound new to you. It might be things that you've never heard before, things from God's word, uh, expectations that God has for us that you've maybe never heard or phrased the way that you're going to be hearing them this weekend. But what I want you to know is that, that God's word is for you. And this mission is for you. And the vision that God has given us and the, God that's given, uh, the, the vision that God is giving you is intended to see this world saved. And, and man, Seth, when Seth was praying, he hit it right on the head. We all know people who are lost. And here's the deal. We don't, we don't see souls. We don't, we don't see souls. We don't see people in the, on the terms that God sees them. We don't see them with his eyes. We don't have his heart. We don't have his mind. And the crazy thing is that he's given us all of those things. And yet... Our flesh gets in the way and our judgment gets clouded and we walk down the street and we literally have the ability to forget that people are even there. We can walk around a campus and we can get so into our routine that we look around, we sit down in our classroom, we're ready for the lecture, we're ready to take notes and we forget that it's a room full of souls and more than half of them are on their way to hell and we don't even see it. And it's a shame and it's a disappointment and to be honest with you, it's a, it defrauds the name of Jesus Christ. It, it, puts, it puts to shame the fact that he, he came to this earth. He, he, he gave up a throne in heaven. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life among us. 
destitution and traveling and dirty and vile among people who were sick and, 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 and just refused him outright. His own, his own family members, the people that he lived with in his village, they refused him outright. They refused to acknowledge who he was. And he lived that life and he went to a cross and he died there in our place and rose again from the dead. And we, and we literally, we have the capacity to forget that. And it's a shame, and it, and it defrauds the, the, the most precious name that has ever lived. It defrauds the name of Christ. And the, the only reason that we're here this weekend is to remember what Jesus did and get ourselves to a place where that informs everything that we do with the rest of our lives. If we leave here and we don't recognize that our lives have to change, and we have to give something up. And that, that, that Christ is demanding more of us than we've wasted this time. We've wasted it. We could be doing anything else. When we leave here and we get in our cars and we go back to Kansas City, the only thing that should be on our mind is God and His mission. And anything outside of that is just your best thought. It's your best plan. And it, there's just no satisfaction in it. Like who recognizes that when you've pursued your plans and you've, and, you, and you've gotten so focused on what you think that you're supposed to do that there's no satisfaction at the end of that? You know, last year um, after I preached and I, and I got in the car and started driving back with Joe, I knew immediately that I wanted to invite Kenny to be here with us this weekend. I knew that we needed to come back here and I knew that it had to be Kenny and so I went and asked him and I, I was praying about it and, uh, and, <laughs> and he was praying about it very hard and he begrudgingly maybe a little bit said yes. Um, but I think God has really softened his heart in terms of what he needs to bring to us. And the other day, it, I've mentioned this to a lot of you, that the other day we were passing in the stairwell and I mentioned offhand what I thought, what I thought God was showing me in terms of what we need to be doing in this next year. And he told me that it was affirmation that God had been showing him the right thing. And that's how God works, isn't it? And, um, man, I'm so thankful to serve with Kenny Morgan. He's one of my best friends. He's one of my best friends in the world. And the thing is, I know that what he has for us tonight uh, is going to change things. But yet, but yet, I mean, it's really on you, isn't it? I mean, the ball's really in your court. <clears throat> Kenny isn't going to get up here and make you change anything. The Holy Spirit isn't going to make you do anything. Jesus Christ isn't going to come down and force your hand. Okay, this little bit of time you have on earth called life, this 75 years if you're lucky, it's all on you. And, and, and Kenny's responsibility tonight is just to put the word before us and we, we just want to say yes, Lord. Amen. So even if you're not there like right now, maybe your head is distracted or, or maybe you're not convinced or maybe your heart is a little bit hard or, or maybe um, you're inundated with religion or past experiences that have made you, maybe, made you a little leery about being here tonight or perhaps you've got some sort of experience back home that's, that's trying to steal away your thoughts. Listen to me. If you could just do me, the, do me this favor, okay, and this is what I'm praying for you, is that you would be ready to consider saying, yes, Lord. 
that it would be there would be a ready word. Okay, that it would be there would be um, at the end of the night you could say it or, or, or you don't have to. But that it would be a ready word. Yes, Lord. Can we do that? Are you guys ready to take notes? Yes. Okay, you have your Bibles? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for my brother and then I'm gonna let him him share uh, with us. Um, thank you for being here, dude. It means so much to me. I mean, to have my friend here is a is a good thing. So come up here so I can, I can pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. And and Lord, I just pray that you would help us to shake off the day, shake off the travel, shake off uh, the difficulty of getting here. I mean, there's some people who were tempted to stay home and they just got here by the skin of their teeth. And, and so, Lord, thank you for bringing them here. But, Lord, allow them to focus their attention on you. And, Lord, we pray that you would embolden us, that you would provoke us to righteousness, that you would remind us what it means to obey. So many Christians in this world think o- obedience means uh, Raising good kids and being kind and not cussing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The, the people that I know in my workplace, you talk about Christianity and they think that that means not cussing and not drinking too much. And Lord, sometimes it feels like we're the only people that believe your Bible. But Lord, that puts us at such a great advantage. To be the only one carrying a sword... The enemy is all around and we're the only ones carrying a sword. That means we're at a great advantage in this world. And Lord, I pray that you would teach, allow us to teach others what it means to follow you, what it means to obey you, what it means, what it means to know you with intimacy, what it means to, to, to have a personal relationship with you. Lord, let us teach the world and show the world what it means to have a purpose, what it means to have ambition in you, what it means to have a, a, a great calling on, your, on, on our lives and, and that we would live it out and that we would draw all men to you, Lord, that we would be ready to say, come and see, that, we, that people would be coming to our Bible studies, that we would be showing them and pointing them in the direction, Lord, we, we would be telling them that there's no time to waste, there's, there's, there isn't a tomorrow, that you're coming back any moment, Lord, that we would teach these things that the world might know that it is pressing. And it is worth doing, and it is worth following, and it is worth repenting, and it is worth, Lord, anything. And so, Lord, use your word tonight to pierce us and to, and to push us and to prod us and, and to show us what it means to live, Lord, uh, a righteous and holy and obedient life. Lord, uh, anoint Kenny tonight. Um, he hasn't felt well. Lord, give him energy and strength to preach to us. We trust you for this time. We thank you for this time. We ask for it in your son's name. Amen. Uh, what, a, what a gracious introduction. Uh, very humbling. Uh, no pressure, right? <clears throat> so, it's, uh, it's always interesting to, to, to just hear someone uh, articulate in front of a crowd um, just the the level of love and intimacy that, that you share, that you have. And so I'm just very, very humbled by that. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing uh, to, to walk together with men of God who love him and love the book and are all about the mission. So I'm humbled to be here. I'm honored. 
um, it, it's interesting. I didn't know that you knew last year that, that I needed to be invited. Am I doing something wrong? With the mic. Okay, I'll just tell me if I need to do something different. Okay. But, uh, but I had no idea that you knew last year that um, I needed to be here uh, tonight. So it's an honor to be here. Um, what a great, what a great group. I mean, just the, I mean, this is officially, I've, I've heard of the boondocks. <laughs> right? This is the boondocks, right? I mean, like, I didn't, uh, I didn't grow up like this. <laughs> Right. Uh, one thing about when you, when you grow up in the city, like one of the one of the, the the beauties is is like you can always interpret noise. Like you know what every noise, every sound, you know what it means. Right. Like e- even if it's bad, at least I know what that is. Out here, I can't interpret anything. <laughs> right. Especially at night. Okay, what is that? <laughs> what was that? Where is it? Is it gonna eat me? Right. That that kind of thing. But uh, the food was amazing. I don't know. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Outstanding. So, that, was, uh, that was really, really special. That, that alone was worth the trip. Right? So uh, whoever had a hand or hands in that, thank you. It was a blessing. Well, I have a lot to cover. And uh, why don't we um, ask God's blessing one more time on our time tonight as we uh, see what the Holy Spirit will say to us from his word. Lord, please bless your word tonight. Challenge us, stir us, convict us, shake us up, make us uncomfortable, encourage us, uh, empower us, Lord, to respond fiercely for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Many parents can tell you what the first words of their child was. It's funny, I was with Andrew Ong. Where's Andrew Ong? I was with Andrew Ong earlier. He was holding his little girl, and she was making some noises and, and things like that. But there will come a point where she's going to say something, maybe da-da, or maybe she's already said it, I don't know. That's usually the first one is da-da or something to that effect. But parents, um, they remember those things because that represents a milestone for the child, right? It, it, it's a milestone. What seems to weigh as much, though, are the last words of a person. The last words. Um, The last words of a person are important because in some way they typically sum up that person's life. They they, they make a bold uh, statement on some level about what really mattered to them in their life. In 2 Samuel 23, we have the last words of King David. That ought to have your attention right away. David obviously had a, a full life, and if you're talking about his last words, well, David, if anybody could have had pages and pages, it would have been him. But the focus of the first seven verses of 2 Samuel 23 really focus on David's relationship with God and, and what God had done. But starting in verse 8, the first three names that David mentions are given very high praise. He mentions three mighty men. These men had been with David when he was in exile, and they had been with him during his reign. The fact that he begins with them and discussing their accomplishments 
uh, speaks to the fact that what they did and who they were, were very, was very important to David. This has somewhat of a judgment seat of Christ flair to it. David, as a type of Christ, was recognizing these men for their valiant service in his army. So as we examine the testimony of these men, we're going to see three basic observations of a mighty man or mighty woman of God. And when we hear that phrase or that word mighty, we, we tend to think of it in terms of something very sophisticated. In other words, like this is someone who was immensely gifted above and beyond. They're not like the rest of us. They had some type of secret, some type of advantage that the rest of us just weren't fortunate enough to get. Or maybe they were just more studious than us. They were just smarter. In other words, they're set apart in a way that, that is untouchable and we could never get there. We, we could never be mighty like them. These basic observations will dispel that very, very quickly. And they're going to reveal that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ not only can be, but should be a mighty man or woman of God. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can finish well and shine for the glory of God at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at once, at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop, where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory." Wow, that's amazing. As you know, 1 Chronicles chapters 10 through 29 also detail the reign of David, and it supplies details about his reign that we do not find in 2 Samuel. But in 1 Chronicles 11 verse 11, Adino is referred to as Joshabim. Now in 1 Chronicles 11 and verse 11 as well, it is said that Joshabim lifted up his spear against 300. And that he slew them at one time. And so we see here in 2 Samuel 23 in verse 8 that he is credited with the slaying of 800. And of course, uh, what most people do with that is undermine God and say, well, it's just we attribute that to a scribal error. In short, the first verse of 2 Samuel 23 verse 1 says this. It says, now these be the last words of David. But in 1 Chronicles 11, verse 9, it tells us that David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. So what we see here is the list of mighty men in 2 Samuel 
23 and 1 Chronicles 11, those lists were compiled at different seasons or different times in David's life. It wasn't the same time. You can see that in the difference in the names as well. But as we begin to hone in on these first three men, our first observation emerges from Adino. It is said of him again in verse 8 that he lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Simply, 800 times he lifted up his hands in effort to defeat the enemy. What a picture God gives us there. Because that is a picture of prayer. And prayer, as we know, is a weapon that is to be used by the believer in battle. We have to know that. In Exodus 17, as Israel fought against the Amalekites, God gave us an invaluable lesson there about the necessity and the importance of prayer. Exodus 17, verse 11. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So as long as Moses' hands were up, Israel prevailed. And when they were down, they fell. Once they and that's a very important word when I talk about they. We'll hit that in just a minute. But once they found a way to stay up the hands of Moses, Joshua discomfited the enemy. That is, he overthrew them. And we see a few key lessons about prayer in this narrative. One is that this, understand this, prayer is the difference between winning or losing in battle. It is the difference between winning or losing As long as Moses' hands were up, they won. But the moment his hands went down, they would lose. The same is true in your life and in my life today. If your hands are down, you are losing in the battle. If your hands are down, your prayer life, my prayer life, is determining whether or not you are winning or losing. Not just in spiritual warfare, but in the Christian life in general. Your prayer life is setting the tone. Next, prayer must be continual. The hands of Moses had to be stayed up. They could not come down. We know that the context of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 is spiritual warfare. And what are we told in Ephesians 6, 18? Praying always. Praying always. Our hands have to stay up. And next... Prayer must be corporate. So I was saying earlier about they. They held his hands up. Aaron and her stayed up Moses' hands. I'm so encouraged. I'm so excited about what God has done, what God is doing in and through this ministry. It's amazing. And I mean that. I, I stand before you in a very, very humble place. You, we are trusting God for greater things. And it's good to know that. It's good to know that the best days with the Lord are always ahead, never behind. They're always ahead. You are looking to lead more people to Christ. You're looking to disciple more people. You're looking to to start more Bible studies. Praise God for that. 
But understand this. When you do these things, you are aggressively engaging the enemy. You are aggressively engaging the enemy. And there will be attack unlike ever before, not only on this class, but on you personally. You have to know that. And as much as you plan, as much as you preach the gospel, as much as you teach the word of God in class and Bible studies, your hands had better stay up. Your hands had better stay up. You all represent Kaya so very well on Tuesday nights. It's amazing. You, you basically own a third of the church on Tuesday nights, that right side over there. You guys pack it out Tuesday after Tuesday, and that's amazing. But you know what? Don't just pray there. Pray here. Pray in your Bible studies. Pray when you're hanging out. Keep your hands up. We must be as committed to prayer as we are all the other things that we give ourselves to in the work of the ministry. And I will tell you that is one of the things that I know I face. Man, I can study and I will work and I will meet with people and I will do everything. And I will do it with fervor and and, and all of that. But prayer. Sometimes it can really seem, again, I'm just being honest. Sometimes it can really seem like, I want to be very careful. Do I really have time to spend that much time in prayer? And there's so much to do. Do I really have that much time for prayer? I mean, it's not, no, no, Lord, I want to pray. And I will pray, but, but do I really have a lot of time to pray? That is something that I deal with regularly. Because my temptation is to just work. There's stuff to do. And we are a teaching church, are we not? We love good teaching and preaching. And we should. And and I'm not challenging that. But here's the question. Do we love to pray? What's your appetite for prayer in contrast to your appetite for the book? Look at that. We have to. Is your conviction for prayer as great as your conviction to obtain more information about the book you're holding tonight? I came across this a while back. It's an old evangelist, and he couldn't have said it better. And I have it on the screen. You can follow along. The church has many organizers, but few agonizers. Many who pay, but few who pray. Many wrestlers, but few wrestlers. Many who are enterprising, but few who are interceding. People who are not praying and praying. The secret of praying is praying in secret. A worldly Christian will stop praying, and a praying Christian will stop worldliness. Ties may build a church, but tears will give it life. That is the difference between the modern church and the early church. In the matter of effective praying, never have so many left so much to so few. Brethren, let us pray. Let us pray. One way or the other, prayer sends a loud and resounding message to God. 
If we are given to it, it tells God that we recognize that without him, we can do nothing. If we're not given to it, it tells God we don't need you. Clearly, the first observation of a mighty man or woman of God is this. Mighty men and women of God are mighty in prayer. They are mighty in prayer. They are as impressive in prayer as Adino the Esnite was with his spear. He lifted up his hands 800 times to slay 800 men. The mighty man or woman of God lifts up their hands time after time after time after time after time. 800 times, so to speak. Again, this is basic. But a basic reality is that many believers are simply not mighty in prayer. And I believe 1 Timothy 2.8 clues us in on why that is the case. Paul said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Here it is, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, we know that there isn't anything holy about our flesh. So we cannot lift up hands that are holy. In no way is that a correction on the word of God. But it is to conform to confirm what Paul was referring to. He was referring to hands being raised by someone who is living a holy life. Someone who is walking in holiness. At its most basic level, prayer is simply communication with God. And prayer is an essential component of intimacy with God. But sin is the greatest roadblock to intimacy with God. So if we're not mighty in prayer, it is because we're not walking with God. And sin is the only reason that a believer is not walking with God. But do you know what all of this tells us tonight? It's this. As a fellowship, Kaya must be a holy fellowship. That's what it tells us. MBT must be a holy place. If you want God's attention, if you want God's power, if you want God's blessings on the work that you're doing for him, then you have to be clean and full of faith. You have to be clean and full of faith. Is that Kaya? Is that you personally? So, observation one, mighty men and women of God are mighty in prayer. Verses nine and ten, we see Eleazar. And Eleazar, it says, clave unto the sword. We know that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So the picture here is clear and very vivid. But the word clave is, is, the, is, is the word that is in the past tense for the word cleave. We know that the first mention of the word cleave is found in Genesis 2.24 and it really gives us a very clear picture of what we are to extract from what we read here about Eleazar. But Genesis 2.24 tells us, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So cleaving has to do with two things becoming one. 
This is what we see with the mighty man Eleazar. He, he was one with the sword. He clave to it. And the picture just begins to naturally emerge, doesn't it? Because here's the second observation. A mighty man or mighty woman of God, they are people who are one with the word of God. They are one with the word of God. That is the second observation of a mighty man or mighty woman of God. Some of you sports fans will recognize or know this stat that I'm about to give you or this fact I'm about to give you, but the Cleveland Browns have never won a Super Bowl. Anybody from Cleveland in the house? Any Browns fans in the house? Okay, good. All right, and the reality is, is that will probably never happen in my lifetime. They are a terrible organization and have been for so long. They have one of the most passionate, loyal, zealous fan bases in all of sports. But in January of 1988, they found themselves in the AFC Championship game against a team that you'll recognize, the Denver Broncos, who we hate in Kansas City. If Cleveland wins that game... They go to the Super Bowl, their very first one. With a minute and 12 seconds left to go in the game, Ernest Biner is essentially steps away from scoring a touchdown. If he scores his touchdown, he would have put Cleveland within one point of tying the game. An extra point, the game would have been tied, and they would have made it more than likely. But at the one-yard line, the defensive back stripped the ball and he fumbled. And to this day, that is a stain on the city of Cleveland and Brown fans, wherever they are. For a while, he was the most hated man in Cleveland. He even received death threats. This had such a profound effect on his life that a few years ago, he actually issued a very uh, emotional apology to the, to, the, to the city of Cleveland and Cleveland Brown fans. We're talking 1988. If you've seen the, the, the 30 for 30 documentary called Believe Land, you'll, you'll see it there. But one of the things that football coaches preach and teach all the time, I played football years ago, and and it was taught to me, do not fumble the ball. Do not put the ball on the ground. Right? Because if you do that, that can cost us a game. Hold on to the ball. Don't drop it. To reinforce this, some coaches will literally have players carry a football around 24-7. They sleep with it, they eat with it, they do everything, they shower with it, and the whole point is to reinforce to the player, don't fumble. You can't let this ball go, you've got to hold on to it. Listen, the reason that some of us are identifying with the pain that millions of Brown fans felt and still feel to this day about that fumble is because we keep fumbling the word of God. We keep fumbling it. We keep letting it drop. We keep letting it fall to the ground. We're not cleaving to it. 
We're not holding on to it with everything that we have. God speaks to us in our quiet time. God speaks to us in Kaya. God speaks to us in main service. God speaks to us on Tuesday nights. God speaks to us at D2. God speaks to us in LFBI. What are you doing with that? Can I tell you, in all the counseling that I've done, do or will do, do you know what the problem never is? The problem is never an issue of being deficient in information. It's never, oh, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what was right. No, that's never the issue. The issue is never what's right. The issue is, no, you've let that drop. You didn't hold on to that. You're not holding on to that. That's the issue. We keep fumbling. God keeps giving it to us and we keep dropping it. Samuel, what did he do? With the words that he got. He let none of it fall to the ground. Paul told Timothy not to fumble the word. 2 Timothy 1.13 Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast. Don't let this go. Being one with the word means that his mind becomes your mind. His thoughts become your thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have it. We have, you're holding it. And the reason that he has given it to us is so that it can become our mind. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Being one with the word. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, for as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with this same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Why is it that so many believers are, are spending their time, living their days in the flesh to the lust of men? Is because they're not one with the word. It's because his mind is not their mind. But this very well could be the most crucial point as it pertains to being one with the word. Eleazar clave to the sword, it says. And we saw the first mention of cleave in Genesis 2, but here's the point. There can be no cleaving without leaving. There can be no cleaving without leaving. And here's where we're going with that. You have to leave your mind and cleave to his mind. You must leave your mind and cleave to his mind. See, the problem is when we're talking about being one with the word, it's not a mixture of your mind and his mind. It's not two becoming one in the sense of a husband and wife who, okay, well, yeah, you and I are one and, 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 we, and we come and we blend ourselves emotionally and intellectually and whatnot. I get that. 
What we're talking about here is the absolute total abandonment of your mind. It's, it's, that is insufficient. It is, I want your mind, Lord, to be my mind. I want to cleave to your word with everything in me. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be, that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man in which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The old man, the old mind, is gone. You've got to put on the new man. Some of you who are in D2, we, we, we really spent a lot of time on this. Uh, I think it was last Saturday. When we're talking about renewing our mind, the word there is renovation. It's renovation. And when you think about that, what a process that is. When you renovate something, you drastically alter whatever it was. And it becomes something entirely different from what it was. And what has to happen in your life and what has to happen in my life, if we are to be one with the word of God, then there's got to be a renovation. And it's not a one-time renovation, but it's a daily renovation It's a moment-by-moment renovation. And that is the reason why so many of us are struggling is because that renovation is inconsistent. We renovate sometimes, but then we, we keep going back to the old mind. We keep going back to the old way of thinking versus being like Eleazar and cleaving to the Word of God. Can I tell you, I was telling someone earlier, Man, it's, it's great to be here. I, I, re, I mean that. It's a blessing to be here. I, I've been married to Lori for 15 years. And so when, when Lori's not here, I, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I mean, I, there's so many things. That, I mean, I may want to ask her a question or, or if I'm, hey, pray for me. I'm, I'm struggling, right? Or something. Just what, she's just... She's always there, right? She's, she's never far from my mind. Why? Because I, I cleave to her. I cleave to her, and she cleaves to me. I, I was looking forward to coming, but before I left this morning, I was just so sad. Right? I'm sitting with her on the couch, and we're talking, and we're praying, and I'm like, man, I, I've got to leave you. I don't want to leave you. I mean, I want to be obedient, and I'm going to be obedient, but I don't want to leave you. I want you to come with me, right? I mean, so we, we get that, humanly speaking. Married or single, that needs to be your heart attitude, 
your conviction, your passion for the word of God. Yeah. I don't want to leave you. I can't stand to be away from you. I've got to be one with you. Man, I am incomplete. I am lost. I am in trouble. I am unsettled. I, I'm, I am absent of peace when I am not cleaving to you. That's what a mighty man or mighty woman of God does. They cleave to the sword. They don't let go. So we've said that mighty men and women of God are mighty in prayer. They're one with the word of God. Verses 11 and 12, we look at this other mighty man, Shammah, the son of Aji, the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered together in a troop where it was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. What a man. What a man. According to First Chronicles 11.13, this was at Pasdamim also referred to as Ephes Demim, which was located in the tribe of Judah. So this piece of ground belonged to God. But this is also where the Philistines encamped before David fought with Goliath. So it is fitting that David pointed this out about Shammah. When the men of Israel saw Goliath, what did they do? They fled in fear, but not David. Not David. Shammah was like David. He did not flee. He stood in the midst of the ground. In other words, he stood right where the action was happening. He stood in the midst of the ground. And he just didn't stand, but he defended it. And he slew the Philistines. It's not hard to understand why David mentioned this man. Because he was a man after David's own heart. Because David could see himself in that he was a mighty man. He was a fearless warrior. And what this shows us in this third observation about a mighty man or mighty woman of God is that they are unconditionally faithful to the work. They are unconditionally faithful to the work. A lot of younger people here tonight, a lot of single people here tonight. Nothing wrong with that at all, praise the Lord. One of the things, though, that I think we have to know about our culture, um, we are a honeymoon people. We are a honey. We love honeymoons, don't we? We love it, man, when things are new and things are fun and things are downhill. We like that. And I mention that because many of you will someday become spouses. Marriage is not a perpetual honeymoon. Sometimes it's uphill. Sometimes it's hard. Something that we do not get is we don't get faithfulness. As a culture... 
And as a church, as a whole in America, we don't get that. We don't get faithfulness when things are hard. We don't get it. Right? It becomes very conditional. We don't get faithfulness when we look around and see that others aren't being faithful. Well, man, if they quit, shouldn't I quit? If it was too hard for him and too hard for her, well, isn't it going to be too hard for me? Rhetorical question for you to think about, for you to process. What would it take to get you to quit? What would it take? What would it take for you to put down your sword? What would it take for you to flee from the battle? For some of you, it's a guy. For some of you, it's a girl. They show up and you're done. For some of you, it's something else. I don't know. A career maybe. A pursuit of some kind. But there's something, if you haven't figured this out, there's something that can compel you to say, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. This is worth me abandoning my posts. This is worth me quitting and dropping out of the work. Mighty men and women of God do not do that. And let me just tell you this. Whatever your level of understanding is and ultimately execution of faithfulness, whatever that is in your life right now as a single person, that's exactly what you will bring into a marriage. Marriage is not a magic switch that you flip once you say I do that all of a sudden transforms you into something you never were as a single. A successful spiritual single will be a successful spouse. But someone who is not a mighty man or woman of God as a single will not become that because they have a wedding ring. That's why you have to get this now. Over time, though, you you will hear many people uh, talk about a good game when it comes to faithfulness. And it sounds fantastic. And they blow their own horn and, and whatnot. But the truth is, for many of them, it's just hot air. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says it well. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. A faithful man who can find. The faithful man or woman of God is like the virtuous woman. They are not in abundance. I can tell you, I'm sure Brandon can tell you, as a pastor... There are few things in the ministry, like working with people, that you can set your watch to. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is there are certain people you know, they're going to be where they should be doing what they should be doing when they should be doing it. You can set your watch to that kind of person. That's a faithful person. They don't need a wake-up call. They don't need an email to remind them. They don't need a pep talk. They're faithful. Those people are breaths of fresh air. You can serve with them. You can walk with them in ministry for years. 
Is that you? Are you the kind of person that your pastor can set his watch to? I can tell you, this is one of the things that I deal with and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I have an adult fellowship at Midtown, a Sunday fellowship. And there are people, and I know who they are. If they're there this Sunday, it's good to see them. But I can't tell you what the next three weeks are going to look like. <laughs> I mean, who knows, man? I don't know. Maybe something's going on in Arkansas and they got to come back down here. For I have no clue where they go, what they do. But these are the same people who will come and say, well, yeah, life's not working out. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why. Ultimately, it has everything to do with faithfulness to God. You will never be faithful unconditionally in the work of God unless you are faithful to God. And I mean completely faithful. God, I'm all yours. Believers like Shama are not in abundance. When the heat turns up in life, people tend to scatter. You're trusting God for some big things coming in 2018. Brandon's going to be talking about that in the the next couple of days. I'm excited about it. I've, I've gotten to hear some of it on the way down, and we've had conversations Uh, even before then. But here's what you have to have if you're going to make full proof of what God's giving you as a fellowship. As a fellowship, you have to have men and women who are mighty in prayer, men and women who are one with the word, and men and women who are unconditionally faithful to the work. And that's not talking about the person sitting next to you or the person sitting behind you. That's directly to you. Is that you? Let's pray. Um, before, we, before we go into a season of prayer, um, what I want from you is I want you to ask yourself if there is a deficiency in any of these character qualities. If there's, you know, I've even had conversations tonight where, where people have already recognized some of these things are, they're struggling with. Um, and, and this is the perfect opportunity for you to grab someone and take some time in prayer. And, uh, and so I, I want to highly encourage you not to be quick to dismiss and, and go play or, or even for those of you who need to, to help in the kitchen, which is all of you, really, just to go help clean if, if, if possible. But, but, but to take some time to not be in a hurry to go do something, but in a hurry to get right with the Lord and to pray over these things where we're weak. And if we can't be honest about this, then there's something really the matter with us. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess, man, for me, I'm with Kenny. It's the prayer thing. It's the prayer thing for me. And uh, I'm, I need to make sure that I'm getting that right with the Lord and that I'm beginning to practice in my busy life. You guys wouldn't know, know what it, it means to be busy. Right, but like in my busy life, am I setting apart time 
to devote to just being with the Lord. It's funny, even when I pray, pray sometimes, and I get like 15 or 20 minutes in, I get really antsy. Because I'm unpracticed in it. Like I get behind, beyond a certain threshold in my prayer, and I grow anxious as though, as though I'm, I'm supposed to be done. And, uh, you know, and I think that, I think that you're not done until you've met, met with the Lord. Um, and so some of us, it's, it's faithfulness. This is, you know, some of us, it's one of those things where you guys are young and your excuse is that you're young. And here's the crummy thing about that is I need you to be faithful and I need you to be faithful right now. There's just too much work that the Lord has given us and made us responsible for to be flippant with our time and our energy and not steward the things that God's given us well. And some of us need to just reckon the fact that maybe you've been, honestly, some of you have been unfaithful to the, to the things that I've asked you to do. Some of you have been unfaithful to the things that you know the Lord's calling you to do. Some of you have been just not very good friends. And it's harmed your Bible studies. You show up late and it's not a big deal. You've always got an excuse. Uh, I'm just not I'm, not, I'm feeling poor tonight. That was one I heard recently. I'm feeling, I'm feeling poor. I don't even know what that means. You're talking to a guy who missed one day of school in high school. And that was because it was a senior skip day and I hadn't missed a day of school yet. I'm like, well, I guess I should skip. You know what I mean? Like, and I think, I think, like, some of us aren't, aren't ready for the call. You're not, you're not faithful in the simplest things. Being on time is a simple thing. How can, we, how can we entrust you with teaching? Goodness gracious. Some of you need to get that right tonight. Some of it is a matter of the word, and, and, uh, and you're just not spending time with the Lord. It's not, knowing Christ is an issue of intimacy to you. It's an, it's an issue of proving to everyone that you know Christ. There's a, there's a drastic difference and, and you're, you're very confused if you think you've got people tricked. If you're not spending time with the Lord, um, it's reflecting on your face. We, we know it. Your countenance is different. And again, if the Lord is going to entrust you with anything, then you need to first be faithful to him in friendship. Like, my friends, I can count on them for anything, and so I can tr- and trust them with things, and I can make them faithful. Like, I, could, I can say, hey, I need this from you. But you know, in a relationship with the Lord, it's the same way. If, if, if you're not faithful to the word, how can you be faithful in ministry? That's just a, that's a joke of a thought. If you can't spend time with him in his word, you think he's going to give you more responsibility? You think, you think he's going to bring, be bringing souls to your doorstep if you're unprepared in your relationship with him? No, he's not going to give you those opportunities and he give them to the faithful person, the one committed to his word. You hear me? All of us have something right now and I want us to spend time and break up and just spend some time praying that the Lord would, would change our hearts. I'm so thankful for what Kenny brought tonight because it is, it is very timely. And, and, and I don't want to give you too much of a sneak peek into the week, but this, this, week is, this weekend is this. 
Continue in what you're doing. But love the Lord more. That's it. Praise God for what He's doing in Kaya. I mean, if you look around this room right now, how many faces weren't here last year? I mean, we're getting, I mean, we're getting to a place where we have to set up more chairs. We're getting to a place where, where Bible studies are at capacity. And, and God is giving us the ability to stretch our arms in the parts of the city that we've never been. That's exciting. But listen to me. If God is going to give us more to be responsible for in terms of ministry, then we have a greater responsibility to be mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to be intimate with Him, to pour our hearts before Him, to not neglect any time with Him. We've we've got to do that if we want to see the, the Lord continue to multiply this work. So, so let's pray now and then as we close in prayer, go and find the people that you need to pray with and spend that time. Can we do that? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the fact that you gave us a word. That, that um, man, there was power in that story. And uh, Lord, when we come before the judgment seat, we answer for those things. We answer for whether or not we held true to your word or we were heretics or we abused it, or we let it fall to the ground. We answer for that. But we answer for what our relationship and prayer with you is like because there's power in that. We're, 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 we answer for our faithfulness. Were we true to the mission? Were we concerned with discipleship? Were we concerned with training people? Did we see souls from day to day? Were we faithful to the simple things that you taught us? We will answer for all of that. And so Lord, make us fearful of the judgment seat. Make us terrified of what is to come. But Lord, do not let us uh, fear men. Lord, do not let us fear our time and our energy and our calendar. Do not let us fear degrees. Do not let us fear our professors. Do not let us fear homework. Do not let us fear uh, uh, family members who think that we're crazy for what we believe. Lord, deliver us from the burden of of fearing what the world throws at us. Lord, make us faithful. Make us intimate. Make us the things that you want us to be so when we stand before you, Lord, we can hear you say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful servant. You've done well by my name. You didn't bury the might. You didn't didn't, um, abandon and and, and neglect the, the poor and the weak and the humble. You've done right by me. Well done. Let that be us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.